today from the global lane, global domination, not only TikTok, communist China capturing hearts and minds through the Hollywood film industry. Art serves the cause of the party. The battle for mind control happens on a smokeless battlefield. In the trenches, combating violent crime in American neighborhoods. We can come together and seek solutions across race and class lines to fill that emptiness that's in the hearts and souls of our young people. But we can't do it if we are constantly in this tribal conflict. Generation Z, a growing force in presidential politics. Generation Z doesn't love Trump and doesn't love Biden. So who should Trump pick for vice president if he hopes to win over Gen Z voters? And students abandoning fire water for the living water. Mass baptisms at one of America's biggest party schools. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. China's influence over Western societies isn't limited to the spreading of communist propaganda on social media. A new film, Hollywood Takeover, exposes the CCP's influence on the Hollywood film industry. Here to tell us about it is NTD News investigative reporter and anchor Tiffany Meyer. Tiffany, how is the CCP influencing the films we're seeing in movie theaters? What are they doing? So I think originally it might be little things that you see in movies, like, for instance, the 2012 End of the World film. Everyone's saved in that with this giant arc that's made in China. And then in Gravity, Sandra Bullock is saved not by the Russians and the U.S. and the space station, but by the Chinese. So you have little inklings of that. But then with the movie industry, it's so expensive throughout the years. Hollywood especially was like, ooh, we need money. China's this emerging huge market. And then you see in the Iron Man 3, where they, they include this Chinese doctor who saves the life of Iron Man, right? Imagine what that's doing. And then with that, throughout the years, the studios are like, okay, even if I don't make a profit in the U.S., I can make a profit in China. For instance, Pacific Rim earned $101 million in the U.S., which is well below its $190 million budget that took to make the film. But it made 111 million in China alone. So just with that one country, it doubled its box office. So the Hollywood takeover film contends this is communist indoctrination of our minds. What you've described is just trying to maybe get people to like China. So how is it influencing our thinking? Here in the West, right, we think of war as either you're in a war militarily or you're not. But China has the idea of unrestricted warfare or total warfare where everything can be an aspect of war. So we delve into the internal documents of China. Even back when Mao Zedong, he's the one that put China under communism, he had this secret speech in 1942 that talks about revolutionizing literature and art to serve the purpose of the party and to really stamp out their enemy, which is the free world, or in this case, the U.S. And so since then, since Mao Zedong, the very beginning of the Communist Party, art serves the cause of the party, and it's part of their military. So even in an internal PLA, that's People's Liberation Army China's military, their handbook, it talks about how the battle for mind control happens on a smokeless battlefield. That could sound like lasers or drones, but it's really through every aspect. Like you also have that in the education system with, say, the Confucius Institutes, where Beijing, Communist China, picks the teachers and they don't teach you about Tiananmen, they don't teach you about Tibet, you can't talk about Taiwan. And so it's really bleeding into every aspect. And so ultimately, 
you have even say Top Gun, the second movie, Maverick, right? When it first, when the first trailer was released for that, it had removed the patches of the Japanese and Taiwanese flags on Tom Cruise's bomber jacket because those are sensitive to China. This is like the most American movie ever, Top Gun. And yet even that was trying to self-censor because Tencent, a massive Chinese tech company, was backing that film because that movie was so expensive to make. But at that point, you know, with the pandemic, there was such international backlash that Tencent backed out of the film. And then by the time it was released, the patches were back and it actually did really well. It made over a billion dollars. That was the first Tom Cruise film to make over a billion dollars. And that included not the China market. So you're seeing that. But throughout the years, you have that whole thing where they don't have China as the enemy. So every time you talk about things in society, you're like, oh, Russia, North Korea, maybe even Iran, but China's not. And then you start seeing that trickle down, right? Right now, we have this huge debate over TikTok, whose parent company, ByteDance, is Chinese and has ties to the Chinese Communist Party. And under Trump, President Trump tried to ban it, didn't succeed. Biden has even, President Biden has said he's not allowing it on federal devices. Now his own campaign is on it to try and target the young people. And you see all these different aspects, whether it's in the films or with TikTok or even in our classroom, where it's changing the way we see and perceive the world. And they create divisiveness online. But these are accounts that look American, but they're not. 100% of the news about the U.S. on TikTok was negative. Anything that talks about the U.S. is negative. And so you have one third of young Americans who get their news from TikTok. And so you're seeing that in all aspects where even in the classroom, right, with, say, cancel culture, the woke culture, all these different aspects where kids are taught to, if you're white, then you're an oppressor. If you're religious, that's, you know, you're also an oppressor. All these different things where you're taught to hate the country and everything to the point that you do have people on TikTok being like, everything looks so much better over in China. Well, so tell me what, uh, back to the film industry, what needs to be done about it? Certainly. You're not suggesting another Red Scare or return to Joseph McCarthy's blacklist and the purging of Hollywood, or are you? You have, I think you're seeing this rise in the independent movement when it comes to films where you're able, anyone with a camera, right, online could make something now. It's not so reliant on these big studios, which are then reliant on the China market, which isn't even doing that well right now. The China economy has been collapsing quite a lot. So I think even without that, you're already seeing differences without just doing this red scare, right? And you even have legislation being introduced in Congress. For instance, there's the Screen Act, which would require Hollywood films to disclose if they censored something in the attempt to get into the China market. So I think ever since the pandemic, you're seeing a lot of different changes without just saying, oh my gosh, the communists are bad. You're seeing these other elements. Okay, the film is Hollywood Takeover, China's Control in the Film Industry. When is it available? Where can people see it, Tiffany? Yes, yeah, so this is set to release March 8th. It'll be on Epic TV. If you subscribe there, you'll have access to everything, although that website is a little hard to navigate. So if you just go to HollywoodTakeover.com, you can watch the trailer, find out a lot more info, and everything's there. Okay, Tiffany Meyer, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. On the home front, perception versus reality.
Most people think violent crime is getting worse in America's big cities, but recent statistics show murder fell 12% in 2023 over 2022. That's one of the sharpest declines on record. Yet a Gallup poll out last fall showed 77% of Americans think crime increased last year. Well, joining us is Robert Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, an organization dedicated to local community and neighborhood revitalization. Mr. Woodson, it's good to have you uh, with us. And I know you've worked for years in inner cities, helping to empower people to be agents of change in their neighborhoods. So although overall violent crime was down last year, it increased in cities like Dallas, Memphis, Washington. Uh, there are many cities where violent criminals are still terrorizing neighborhoods, and it'd be hard to convince people that it's not occurring as much as before, especially in the aftermath of that Super Bowl parade shooting in Kansas City. So what do you see happening? Well, I think since the, the death of George Floyd, where progressives have vilified the police, and as a consequence, you have what they call the Ferguson effect, where police are less aggressive in enforcing the laws in some of the high-crime neighborhoods, and as a consequence of this uh, vilifying the police, they're less aggressive, and so crime goes up. That's one of the causes um, of it. And, and so we have been fighting against that. Eighty percent of, of the black community who are suffering in these communities are against defund the police. But a lot of the social, social activists on the left continue to promote this vilification and attack on police with the dire consequences. They don't live in a neighborhood suffering the problem, so they don't have to live with the consequence of their advocacy. Yeah, it's easy for outsiders to come in and say, do this, isn't it? And I follow local news regularly. It seems like there's a shooting or murder almost every day right here in the seven cities of coastal Virginia. And many politicians and community organizers would say that tougher gun laws are the answer. That hasn't stopped the high murder rate in Chicago other cities that have tough gun laws. So what do you think should be done to reduce violent crime? Well, not only do I think it, I've had experience in reducing violence. We have, when, when uh, a lot of this violence is being committed by a very small cohort of people who are generating it. What we do is we recruit what we call Josephs. We are, we are pe people who are from that community who represent community antibodies. In other words, whenever there's injury to the human body, healing begins because the body is equipped with antibodies. Well, the same phenomena occur within the highest crime neighborhoods, sickest part of the body draws the strongest antibodies. They are healing agents, people who through God's grace have been redeemed and transformed, and they have moral authority and the social trust of these young people. And when you enlist them to engage these young people and witness to them uh, that they are making the wrong choices. And when you support them, they have the ability to, to redeem and transform these young people. Uh, and so those who have been leading other young people into uh, 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 negative behavior, they become agents of change. And we have changed. People have been converted from predators to ambassadors of peace. Last summer, in one of the most violent neighborhoods in Washington, D.C., for 100 days, we didn't have a single violent incident of any kind. And that's because of the presence of a group called the Alliance of Concerned Men. These are ex-offenders who God's grace have been redeemed and transformed, and they exercise this kind of moral authority, 
with the young people in the community with the result that they disarm themselves. And so it, that's what we've got to get behind. We've got to support healing agents within these communities, people that have the moral authority and the social trust of these young people, and therefore they can guide them to lives of responsibilities away from violence, and they, but they are agents of their own uplift, and that's what we've got to promote. We're not seeing a lot of love in our society today, are we? What, what's the cause and more solutions? It's, okay, it, first of all, the problem is not racial. We have to be transracial. I mean, we really have to, to understand race is a distraction. Um, and so, so what we, the high, according to a Harvard study, that, that the highest form of deaths occurring among white kids in suburban near or, or Silicon Valley, the suicide rate is six times the national average. The highest uh, cause of death for young people in Appalachia is prescription drug and homicide in the inner city. And that's because when young people are growing up with a hole in their heart, life does not have content or meaning they devalue life to the point where they'll take their own or take someone else's. They're different sides of the same coin. That's why we must put race aside and come together the way the Woodson Center is doing. We're bringing, we have thousands of groups called the Voices of Black Mothers United. They're coming together with white mothers from, from Appalachia and Silicon Valley and what we call the Mothers Consortium. So we can come together and seek solutions across race and class lines so that we can begin to come up with strategies to fill that emptiness that's in the hearts and souls of our young people. But we can't do it if we are constantly in this tribal conflict on the false issue of race or injustice in society. Okay, churches can lead the way. Robert Woodson of the Woodson Center. I've been talking with you about these issues for nearly 40 years now. You're still out there leading the way to bring about neighborhood revitalization and transform lives. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you and God bless you as well. When it comes to winning U.S. presidential elections, we always hear about the swing voters and independents who make a difference. But what about Gen Z voters? 20% of the U.S. population is now people born between 1997 and 2012. What about them? More than half are eligible to vote in the upcoming election. So here to set us straight on this is Gen Z Young Voices political commentator Juan Pablo Villasmil. Juan, it's good to talk with you. You recently suggested in a commentary... The Gen Z voters may not vote for Biden, but that doesn't mean they'll go for Trump. So explain that to us, please. Of course. Thank you for having me. So there's this conception that Gen Z voters are overwhelmingly liberal. And if you go to a college campus, it's somewhat true. There's other trends that we could dive into, like high school seniors seem to be much more conservative now than almost in any other generation that's still alive. But what we also do know is that Generation C doesn't love Trump and doesn't love Biden. Both of both candidates are not the best in the eyes of Gen C. One, the first candidate, Donald Trump, is because many Gen C folks see him, see him as too impulsive and grotesque and not good. And then Biden, the most progressive faction of Gen C, doesn't like him then the conservative faction of Gen Z doesn't like him. And there's not really a lot of, you know, thirst for a, a boring, 
moderator who's about to die because he's too old. Well, you contend Republicans have to do more then to attract young voters. They can't rely on traditional GOP-friendly outlets like Fox News. So you know that in 2022, Democrats outspent Republicans on social media advertising as much as 14 to 1 on Snapchat alone. So how important is it to reach young voters on platforms like Snapchat, even these Chinese-controlled uh, TikTok? I mean, federal workers are restricted from having TikTok, but the Biden campaign's now on it. So is that hypocritical or a good strategy in your estimation? Yeah, sometimes I like to put my, my strategy hat on and forget the, the national security for a second. And the reality is that TikTok is the best platform to reach the youth. And if you look at it from a solely game theory perspective, Vivek Ramaswamy was right. Like, if Republicans are not on TikTok at all, and the liberals are, the Democrats are, then what is that going to translate into? So from a purely strategic perspective, Republicans should be on TikTok. Well, and even if you don't like TikTok, even if you think TikTok's sacrilegious, which I understand, they should at least be spending on Snapchat, which, like TikTok, it's overwhelmingly composed, the public of that platform is overwhelmingly composed by Gen C and the youngest members of the millennial generation. So if you want to reach young voters, you should be on those platforms and not just on Facebook and not just on Fox News. Well, I know someone, a Republican, who is very much involved on TikTok and Snapchat and is in tune with that. You believe Donald Trump should pick Vivek Ramaswamy as his running mate. So tell us more. Why Vivek? Yeah. Well, from, from this Gen C perspective, focus perspective, Vivek Ramaswamy seems appealing. And in my article, I talk about how he overperformed in Iowa with the youth, not necessarily with the older folks. Meanwhile, Trump overperformed with those 65 and older and not with the youth. Vivek Ramaswamy did the best comparatively with the youth, and let's remember, Vivek Ramaswamy was a nobody. Like, no one knew who that guy was, like, a year ago. So if he managed to do that well with the youth coming out of nowhere, if he went on all those podcasts, if he pulled around with Jake Paul and all these influencers, if he if he went surfing on the Miami <laughs> Bay, and he did all these things that might seem ridiculous to the average boomer, but some young folks were seeing and some young, young folks were hearing what he was saying, listening to his message, and it actually did penetrate that market. So even if it's not Vivek Ramaswamy, whoever that VP is, they need to focus on Gen C in a Vivek Ramaswamy way. Because the reality is, is that even if for those who love Trump, Trump is already not very popular with Gen C. So someone else who can't do that for him, that'd be ideal. Well, some evangelical voters stayed away from the polls in 2012. Uh, because they couldn't bring themselves to vote for a Mormon, Mitt Romney. So wouldn't Trump risk losing evangelicals if he chose Ramaswamy, a Hindu, as his running mate? What do you think? Yes, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy actually made the same point, which is why, again, I want to say it, it's complicated business. That's why I still have the door open for someone who's not Vivek Ramaswamy, but who can replicate what he does. If that's Ben Carson, maybe, then he should do that. If that's J.D. Vance, if he could do what... Vivek Ramaswamy does, sure. If that's Stefanik, sure. But it just seems like Vivek Ramaswamy is still the best person that's able to do that. And then at another point, I feel like 
Trump has already proved himself to the evangelical base. And I'm not an evangelical base expert, but I think they should be able to understand strategy and understand that this time around, they're not trying to appeal to them, not because they don't matter, but because we need some other section of the, of the voting bloc to win an election. And that does not only apply to picking a VP, but that applies to Trump's, you know, maybe the way he's talking about abortion is not ideal, but strategy is strategy. And he's trying to win an election. And if he don't win, he don't legislate. Okay, we'll see uh, where he goes and where all of this takes us. Young Voices political commentator Juan Pablo Villasmil. Thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Christian pollster George Barna, who often appears on this program, has released the results of a new survey dealing with the polarization of American society. He's the director of research at Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. Barna and his team identified several perspectives about which the majority of Americans disagree including the basis of truth, the sanctity of human life, the morality of consensual premarital sex, and the existence of the devil. Barna's conclusions about our fragmented nation is America needs a spiritual awakening, not a political one, to restore unity. Amen. We've been praying for a spiritual awakening for many years right here at the Christian Broadcasting Network. And we're now seeing pockets of revival sweeping across America. Take a look at this Instagram post by Christian author and founder of IF Gathering, Jenny Allen. It was the scene the night after Valentine's Day at Florida State University's Westcott Fountain. Hundreds of students came forward. They were baptized, publicly professing their faith in Jesus Christ. FSU is known as one of the nation's biggest party schools. But instead of drowning themselves in fire water and alcoholic spirits, these students embrace the living water that Jesus offers and God's Holy Spirit. So keep praying that God would pour out His Spirit on America and that people will come to realize that a relationship with Christ is their only hope. He, not our politicians, is the only pathway to peace, unity, and prosperity for our nation. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Rumble, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.